Good morning. Uh, welcome to AbbeyCast and this uh, podcast in which uh, I'm going to interview Andrew Del Rossi, the new director of our uh, Spirituality Center, and in particular uh, his uh, interest in and work with the works of uh, the great Jesuit paleontologist and mystic Teilhard de Chardin. So uh, welcome, Andrew. Thank uh, you. We're we are lucky to have you with us, and uh, so uh, let's just jump, jump into the deep end of the pool, and first of all, uh, tell our listeners and watchers uh, something about yourself. That's always a tough question. Uh-huh. Uh, very tired right now, as I was just telling Father Andrew, I was up early with uh, two small children this morning, <laughs> so a, a teething one-year-old makes for an early morning, but... Um, I uh, have this interest in uh, Teilhard de Chardin, like Andrew said, the paleontologist and mystic, um, and I hope to be able to share that with people. It's something I've been doing for uh, the past few years now through presentations and workshops I've given, and um, those opportunities seem to be uh, coming a little bit more frequently nowadays, which I'm very grateful for. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's all about being able to share the larger message of Taylor's life and work, uh, which is really what he was all about. You know, right. he was yeah. not about, you know, this is my work, this is my message, but this was, you know, the great human work that we all participate in. So now I kind of feel called as well to, you know, do that. There's a little bit of a pressure to do yeah. it, especially. Well, let's, uh, I mean, you didn't, uh, you didn't uh, learn about Teilhard in grade school, right? No. So uh, give folks just a little bit, you know, background of where, you know, where you're coming from. Sure, so. sure. Well, I mean, now as you say that question, it took me back in a flashback. And I'm thinking, you know, I think I did. Oh, uh, because right. when I was in grade school, I had a proclivity for um, a lot of subjects, but I really felt drawn to science. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I would think it was the hands-on component and doing experiments and being able to go outside. It was always nice to leave you know, the indoor classroom. But uh, it was that engagement with, with the world that I really enjoyed and learning things that way, learning more about this thing that you just look at, learning all these components and levels. So when my brain changed somewhere probably around puberty, I started to drift in the direction more towards writing and things like that, and the mathematical analytical mm-hmm. side uh, didn't get as much attention. So, you know, naturally with subjects like algebra, I started to lose a taste for that science right. that was becoming more numbers-based. more material. Exactly, with, with uh, chem and stuff like that became more numbers-based. Um, but I've always thought about how I really liked that. So when I found Teilhard, you know, after having studied religion and gotten a degree in that undergrad. Um, I was studying my, for my master's degree, and just a general um, the, the master's degree in religious studies at the time. I really didn't have my focus. Where, where, where were you doing that? So this was at LaSalle University right. in Philadelphia, and um, I was taking a class on, I believe it was Psyche and Spirit, or it may have been uh, Addiction and Spirituality, the 12 Steps. Um, but I said to my professor, have you ever heard of this guy, Ter Deschard? And I probably stumbled through his name, and he just... Looked me square in the eye and said, that's your guy. Uh, so I 
gotten the phenomenon of man. That uh, mm. was my introduction to his work. Great. And uh, worked through that enough to have it eventually be the focus of my master's thesis. Mm. So, I, uh, Going back to the beginning of what you said, it, it's interesting you said, you know, this interest you had in outside and nature, etc., mm -hmm. and that... Uh, that we, if we read the, in the biography of Teilhard, the same thing that he mm -hmm. was interested in the stones and the rocks, etc. So, yeah, that that we have uh, a lot of times we realize later that there was something going on there in the past that really was preparing us for what for what came uh, later. Yeah, I often think of like Joseph Campbell, the mythologist, who talks about chasing your bliss, right, finding mm -hmm. your bliss and pursuing it, and. A lot of times we're just in that joyful, blissful state when we're right, children. Right. And it's so natural to us, right? Yeah. In Teilhard's story, we see this clear progression from his obsession at first with rocks and mm -hmm. uh, different materials, metals and things metals, like that, that yeah. held a, a certain permanence in his eyes, right? Because mm -hmm. they wouldn't break, they wouldn't go right. away, they wouldn't right. uh, waver. But over time, he saw these things would get brittle or rust. Yeah. And um, that really continued through his life, through going into formation and in education and then his work in the field. Um, but I think about my own life and it was like how like, I feel like I got disconnected from that at some point, mm -hmm. you know. Right. Because when I come back to his work now, I'm like, ha especially in raising children now, having <laughs> these flashbacks almost of like, oh, I remember this from being a kid and this feeling of why this was so connecting for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we may have uh, uh, jumped uh, uh, too fast, too far, okay. in the sense of just just give the folks, um, you know, a brief biography of Teilhard for those who, who who may be hearing about him for the first time. Sure, you summed him up nicely in your introduction. Uh, French Jesuit uh, paleontologist. Uh, he was a, a priest within the Society of Jesus. And um, he was an academic, he was a traveler, he was a stretcher bearer in the French army in the First World War. Um, I believe he was initially called on to be a chaplain given his religious formation, but um, if my memory serves me correctly, I read that he wanted engagement with the, the cutting edge, so to speak, of whatever that effort was that mm. humanity, the French regiment, wasn't trying to achieve. He wanted to be part of that. So, right. you know, that led him to ducking under machine gun fire and stuff to yeah. recover soldiers off the battlefield. Um, so really a, uh, a renaissance person in that way. And he had friends in many different circles, from the scientific circles to the religious to the artistic, uh, political even. So uh, he was a very connected person. Um, he experienced some challenge, to put it lightly. Um, he mm. was had this, he was a young, budding academic. He was known as this very dynamic lecturer. At, um, in Paris, and uh, eventually uh, he fell under, I don't even want to say suspicion or concern of the Jesuits, because someone read in a personal journal of his, which somehow someone found in one of these drawers tucked away in his desk, right, uh, that he was calling into question the scientific aspect of original sin, and how this uh, single couple is kind of a scientific anomaly in so much that if we're mm -hmm. going to say that these two people committed this right. error, right? Um, so and not you know discrediting that theological concept or seeking to disprove it, but just really calling in uh, to the bigger perspective, like how this fits in. And especially because I think for so many people with their faith life, uh, that's, that's a hard thing to work with, this concept of 
original sin, right? Mm-hmm. I know people like Matthew Fox have come with this concept of original blessing, trying to right. introduce a new way, but yeah. um, it, it's no coincidence, I think, that that's what initially brought some suspicion to him. Right. Um, but he was really ahead of his time when it came to his views on evolution. Um, he's seen as being prophetic when it comes to him or his writing about the newosphere, which uh, if you think about the Earth's evolution, there are all these layers of development from the, uh, the inorganic to organic levels of all the elements that come to form the, uh, the, uh, the geosphere, and then there's the uh, aquasphere on top of that, the layer of water on top of the layer of land, and eventually you have the biosphere where life forms. Right. Beyond the biosphere, you have this notion of a newosphere. It's a layer of mind. It's indicative right. in the way we are so easily able to connect with people through global communications now. Mm. Um, Zoom, things like that that right. have become so prevalent now, yeah. right? Um, and, and he saw this all unfolding you know, way ahead of its time in mm. so much that uh, he was observing phenomena in nature like ant colonies or beehives. And he saw right. that there is this social inclination that we have uh, not just uh, the different species within evolution has, but evolution itself has uh, to uh, aggregate and, and draw together um, in so much that uh, a larger organism can form from that, right? Right. right. Um, so he sees the internet as being uh, something that's going to really propel humanity's evolution. Well, I mean, he didn't see the internet. No, no but this this right. le- this eventual layer of right. connectivity. Right. Yeah, yeah. The internet, in a sense, it, we might say is the part of the fulfillment of a prophecy yes. that, that we would go from the, the, the biosphere, the life sphere, mm-hmm. that, that, that life now is, that, that just as life is universal, there will be this connection of mind and spirit that mm-hmm. is universal. That's yeah. right, yeah. And now these ideas that he's uh, developing, they're not all taking place at once. This is over the course of many years. This is over the course of the war. Um, after the war, uh, he finds himself eventually in China in a kind of de facto exile where right. because of the, uh, the heat he was experiencing, we could say because of his, uh, his dynamic work, he was told, well, you go to China and you do your scientific research and you publish about bones and rocks and stuff. Right. But you don't write anything about right. spirituality. Right. right. Yeah. So uh, that was the situation he found himself in, and um, and he eventually, uh, after many years in China, found his way back to United or to the United States, where he eventually died in New York City. Um, but uh, it was a really, uh, like I said, dynamic life that he lived. Really, a Renaissance person, and mm-hmm. um, being connected to so many different sorts of people in different spheres. Uh, he was someone that had a truly, I think, multi-dimensional perspective on reality, yeah. right? So often we get pigeonholed into one perspective, but he was seeing it from so many angles. I think the scientific angle was really key for him because, um, you know, we hear about like the cloud of unknowing, right? And we come to a closer relationship with God by unknowing in a way. Right. Well, right. for Teilhard, it was through knowing that he came to know God mm-hmm. more, a closer relationship with God, because through his analysis of the way evolution was moving and how the molecules and atoms all played a role within this conscious process right it was clear that it was all one right yeah the um, yeah I think that well uh, there, there are a number of things that uh, that uh, impress me so for example what you said a, a little while back that 
he chose to be a stretcher bearer rather than a chaplain. Mm -hmm. So he was really, you know, with the blood and guts. Mm. And yet, out of that comes some incredible writing mm -hmm. that is not a, that is, in a sense, optimistic. That, yeah. that is that he had this ability. I I think I connected with his that 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 evolution was key for him, mm -hmm. and that when evolution is occurring, mm -hmm. things are being upset. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a, a kind of push against, you know, what, what is new. And, I mean, by that light, I mean, if what we're going through right now with the pandemic and politics, uh, you know, we might be able to say that we are actually on the brink of a major evolutionary jump forward. Absolutely. It's, you know, in so many different uh, ways of saying it is, you know, this turn of an epoch is the shift to a new paradigm is right. the yeah. uh, fall of Babylon whatever you want to call right. it right, right. We, are, we are seeing a new order come in here and yeah. um, that's what uh, is very interesting to me right now because there's a lot of talk about uh, a biopharma security state where we're going to have our check marks and everything to show that we're clear and, and right. for Teilhard the that might be part of it. Uh, you know, technology is part of our evolution, but it is not our final evolution. Right. It's ultimately an evolution of our heart. Yeah. Right. And, and in yeah. my eyes, it's like, all that tech is really cool. And I'm not, you know, again, science or anything like that. But when we skip this level of affect and, right. you know, yeah. humanness that we really have not tapped or encouraged or nurtured within society, yeah. you know, uh, but uh, I, I think that that's where his hope came from, right? Was yeah. seeing that love was this powerful force within the universe. He says it's the most powerful, but it's also right. the most mysterious force. Yeah. Yeah. To wrap our heads around it is an impossibility. It's yeah. only to live it and experience it. Um, so uh, that's where his hope came from, was this right. deep relationship he had with Christ that he really forged in the war. You know, yeah. he sees nothing yeah. but chaos and destruction in front of him, yet he also sees the uh, the troops moving in ways that represent these natural patterns like the ant colonies and mm. things like that. Yeah. As to say that humanity is such a powerful organism that human energy is an even greater force, he says, than technological energy, mm. right? That we can yeah. achieve so much through that but when we really unite as a human family, as a human species. That's when we unlock... Yeah, capacities we never knew we had. Yeah, and, and, and I think that, uh, you know, as you talk about that, the heart and love, I think that what made him such a conundrum for was, you know, scientists working on evolution are not talking about love, mm -hmm. you know, and spiritual writers are not talking about Peking man, mm -hmm. you know, but, but he could put all of these together in, in a, theology, uh, uh, geology, paleontology, mm -hmm. evolution, and and in a kind of uh, synthesis that, I mean, I have to say for myself, it's tough to understand, but I... Me too. Yeah, I, but I, I mean, I, I, I see where he's going with that, mm -hmm. and I think I think he's, you know, I think that that he's right on right on target and so far ahead of his time. Oh yeah, and he challenged science to say uh, we need studies that measure the amount of love in the universe on uh, the planet Earth, things yeah. like that. You know, um, he has this concept of ultra physics, mm. and you know, it's not just uh, quantum physics or Newtonian physics or metaphysics; it's all of that. 
right? Yeah. Like, how do we yeah. take all that and integrate yeah. that into yeah. an even more holistic system? Right. Um, so, you know, he's thinking many, many uh, ages right. ahead here, uh, right. probably even than where we are now, of course. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it came from his experience with struggles, experience with uh, you know, personal doubts, with depression, physical illness, things like that. Yeah. Um, so he knew very much what it was be what it was to be human. You know, he didn't right. seek his spirituality by removing himself from the world. He, he actually sought to do that at first in mm -hmm. the first world war. He was just so traumatized by the horror of it. He finds himself praying and he's just being thrown back into the elementary stages of the universe where he's right. yeah. identifying with like atoms and quarks and things like that, right? Yeah. But he's like, no, this is disconnected. It's mm -hmm. not in relationship in the way that the world I know it is now is, right? Yeah. So he's propelled into the present okay. and then that really launches him to have this great vision of the future. He, he talks a lot about um, uh, distinction between a God of the above and a God of the ahead. And he said, you know, for too long we've been concerned about this God of the above or institutionalized religion mm -hmm. has been concerned about that. Right. Well, really, the mystical vision is to see this God of the ahead on the horizon. Yeah, and, and uh, so uh, that God of the ahead is uh, pushing and pulling us somewhere. Mm -hmm. Where is that? Mm -hmm. What does he call that place? Yeah, that, that's, that's a good way to uh, pull it, put it, too, in terms of pushing and pulling. That's what Tarot calls the omega point. Right. So this is what we could call the end of history. Um, we could call this in, in, in uh, the uh, tech-slash-transhuman community. It's often referred to as the singularity. Um, but Tarot's omega point is, like I said, totally holistic in so much in that it's not just a technological singularity. It's all in all as is referred to within the scriptures, right? Mm -hmm. um, this omega point comes from uh, the, the scriptural reference to Christ as being the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And in Teilhard's eyes, or eventually in Teilhard's eyes, he came to this realization that this point that he saw, he sensed, he intuited evolution moving toward was the same point that he was striving to move toward in his faith life, that he saw the religious tradition moving toward, that he was encountering within the gospel and then encountering within scripture and then encountering within the world. So it was kind of within this mystical uh, act of physical presence, yet also inflection, you know, upon his faith life, upon scriptures, that he's able to see they're, they're taking us to one and the same point. So should we be expecting that to happen soon? <laughs> In some ways, it's already happening, you know, uh, but, but uh, it's going to be sooner than later. I mean, you know, it, it starts to sound a little bit wacky when we start to say, well, it's going to be on, you know, uh, December 21st, 22 or whatever the, you know, the lunar eclipse will be, right? But um, it's something that we are a part of now. It's unfolding. It's becoming. Um, it's the great co-collaboration that we are a part of in evolution. It, it, I think it's like what we say about uh, when the scripture talks about the, the you know, the, the fullness of the kingdom at the end of time. Mm -hmm. We say it is already and not yet. Yes. You know, yeah. it, it, has, it has begun. Mm -hmm. It has been from the beginning of time, mm -hmm. but it's, it's still headed uh, to a, to a future. And that's the beautiful thing about Tailored is that there's a call for all of us, like I kind of started with, to participate in it because it's not his work. It's just, you know, a, a perspective on the larger work that right. no matter what God we pray to, if we pray to a God at all, we're still a part of it just right. by virtue right. of our existence here. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like we all need to 
start up a nonprofit and have some great cause where we're, you know, affecting, you know, drugs right. of people, but just through our daily living conscious relationships, which are really with ourself. We have a conscious relationship with ourself and getting to know ourself and that constant unfolding, getting to know God, of course, but right. really within your relationships with other people. Yeah. Because for him, that was also where he was encountering God. Yeah. So, uh, so you've had this uh, incredible education, you know, and et cetera, and uh, here you are as uh, the director of center for the the, the, the spirituality center at Dalesford Abbey, and you're uh, doing filming and uh, hanging the Advent wreath. And, I mean, so uh, yeah, is that uh, is that attention for you? No, if anything, I, I think it. Um, well, well, yes. Yes, in a good way. Um, I, I um, now, so maybe this will work in some of my other focus too. Uh, but I do a lot of work with psychology, and particularly like Jungian psychology, right. Right? right? And in Jungian psychology, you essentially want attention. You want attention between your unconscious mind and your ego, your sense of I, your your present right. sense of self, right? Right. Because in keeping that attention, Jung says what happens is that a third or transcendent perspective kind yes. of unexpectedly appears. Right. Right. So I, I find myself, you know, having this academic background and, you know, kind of like I alluded to before, some more academic opportunities like speaking that are, you know, coming about. Um, but I have this opportunity here in terms of the Abbey where we have a living, breathing community of Norbertines and laity that are here, right. um, which is, I'm super grateful to be a part of while everyone's like virtual, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, this is a living, breathing community where, right. you know, we're, we're making that work safely. Um, and, um, you have, uh, you know, that, that very hands-on live ministry of people in the pews on Sundays, albeit limited, you know, or, or, or at home virtual. So, right. uh, for me, it's important to stay, you know, connected to those different aspects of myself. I found that in my life when I kind of, you know, put my weight heavily on one side or the other, that's when I personally become unbalanced, right. and, you know, um, and maybe not my best self. So, mm -hmm. um, so yes, there is, there is a tension with it, <laughs> but it, it's a, it's a tension that I like to have and, yeah. um, the, all the new challenges that have been presented just in this job alone, in this role alone by COVID, you know, all the pivoting right. we've had to do, it, it they've been yeah. good. Stressful at times for yeah. sure. Yeah. But um, you know, at the end of the day I feel like a good tired. It's been like a yeah. good workout, you yeah. know. So the um, uh, I, I should say to, to those of you who are watching this, um uh, uh Andrew was uh hired uh, to do marketing uh for to bring more groups into the spirituality center, into the Abbey, because that's one of the ways that we, we support ourselves. And uh, the day that he started was when we shut down the, the spirituality center yep. for, for groups. But uh, I think that, uh, yeah, the spirit had a plan there because it's uh, really enabled him to develop this uh, Springhouse Media Ministry. And uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's been a really, really good thing. And, but sometimes I think to myself, Hmm, I wonder if he'd rather be in a college or university teaching, <laughs> teaching a class on Teilhard. But I think that, that he's getting that uh, Teilhard's message across pretty well. Uh, and just beginning to do that in the, in the center. Thank you. Yeah, and I've been grateful for the opportunity to do that. You know, when I was scouting around doctoral programs years ago, not all institutions, and 
I thought I was, you know, inquiring to some pretty progressive places, uh, right. yet, yet also very traditional and uh, founded, um, weren't open to uh, an inquiry like I, I wanted. And it was somewhat interdisciplinary in that I was very intentionally looking to integrate the spirituality with the psychology. Oh, and that right. could have been a natural, you yeah. know, a hindrance, yeah. but um, mm. I just found that uh, the path has opened as it has. And um, from LaSalle to here, it's been, right. you know, a, a, a providential path. So, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, I think you have some. Um, resources that you want to share with the people about the Teilhard? I mean, I whenever I give a presentation or a workshop or something like that, um, I'm often asked where people uh, should start in reading Teilhard. Um, mm -hmm. So, I, I yeah, I'd be happy to share where... Um, Good. And it's not so much where I think they should start, but this has uh, been vetted by, you know, uh, my mentors in the Taylor world mm. and um, those that I feel are much wiser and experienced than me. So um, Phenomenon of Man, which is a seminal work, it's a lot of science. It's, uh, as I joke, like three-quarter science before you maybe even get a hint of spirituality or God or anything like that in there. Um, there's a, just a, a, there's a slight, because, uh, for example, if people are looking this mm -hmm. up on, on Amazon, mm -hmm. that the title has changed to the Human Phenomenon. Uh, that's a different edition. Um, ah, so right. yeah, well, there are some slight differences in right. there. Um, nothing that would make a huge difference oh, right. in the message of it. I but, thought it was the same thing. All right. uh, yeah, all right. Good. Yeah, six one way half right. dozen the so other, the but phenomenon of man or, or the, the human, human phenomenon, phenomenon. right? Um, and then uh, the divine milieu, which is more of a spiritual treatise, in so right. much that um, he really goes uh, inward in that and talks about. Uh, very nuanced dynamics, uh, obviously shows you his Ignatian formation, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, these inner dynamics of the spiritual life, which is, uh, again, because he's a scientist, he's always kind of incorporating that empirical language within it. Right. So for people who maybe say are more inclined to have mathematical scientific brain, something like that. Um, you know, I think it would resonate with them. It was like for me when I was reading him, I was like, "Oh my God, this is taking me back to seventh grade science or whatever it was." Right. This is like scratching right. that itch, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, phenomenon of man, divine milieu, and then uh, of course there are a number of great writers who um, uh, have put out and still uh, put out great um, right. uh, the books and writings and articles and whatnot on Teilhard. So there's. Uh, Sister Kathleen Duffy, and there's uh, Sister Ilya Delio, uh, Louis Savory just had mm. a book come out recently, actually, uh, where he looks at the human yeah. phenomenon. Savory, I've, I find very, his book on Tired and Love, mm -hmm. and, but I discovered that he's got a whole series uh, where he's really translating Teilhard in a way that's very, very uh, accessible. It is, yeah. He, he has a, a great gift that way, yeah. so... Um, yeah, and then if people are interested in um, exploring more of that Teilhard universe, they can go to teilhardeshardan.org. That's T-E-I-L-H-A-R-D-D-E-C-H-A-R-D-I-N. We'll put that. I, I was going to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> these will be flashed on the screen. Exactly. We'll, right. we'll put that on the, on the bottom yeah. of the screen or in the show yeah. notes if you're listening. Um, and that's for the American Tarot Association. So um, that's all things Tarot in the United States and even abroad that we try and connect with what's going on globally. Um, and then I have a couple uh, things coming up. I'll presenting, be presenting virtually um, Ilya Delio's Center for Christogenesis, formerly known as the Omega Center. Uh, they have their December conference coming up, their annual conference. It's, of course, going to be virtual this year. Um, when is that? 
It's the weekend of the, uh, what is that, the 4th and 5th? Yeah, because are you six. presenting here on the 5th? Uh, well, yeah, so that's... So a, are you buying, locating? Have you reached a level of evolution where you can be in two places at the same time? Not quite, no. Right. I'm maybe uh, getting that uh, a little closer to that digitally, finding <laughs> how I can maybe live stream in one, you know, or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, so I'll be presenting here for the, the late Norbertine Associates on Saturday, and then well, that'll be a, you know a virtual uh, deal as well. And then on Monday and Tuesday, I'll be doing the uh, Center for Christogenesis conference, which are two workshops. It's the same workshop twice. The mm -hmm. second one's a different time for the people uh, down under, I think. Gotcha. Yeah, and on the Great. other side of the world. Good. Um, so yeah, and um, if you want to find me on Twitter, sometimes I post stuff on there. Um, not as often as I should or like, but it's at theology underscore w underscore doctor d. So theology mm -hmm. with doctor d. If you're looking for me there, and um, maybe a website will be coming soon. So um, you know, mm -hmm. professionally, I think it might be good to Great. get something together right for people to see online. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what the future holds. So good. Good. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to say to the folks? I'm grateful for you uh, taking the reins today and kind of flipping the script here and <laughs> Good. taking Good. me out of the driver's seat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's a pleasure having you here, and uh, there aren't a lot of people running around who uh, I can talk to about Teilhard. <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice to have, have a, a especially every day at work, a, right? A resident interlocutor. Absolutely, yeah. I'm good. most grateful to be here at the Abbey. Like I said, yeah. it's been nothing but uh, you know a good challenge so far, and um, I'm grateful for all the opportunities that um, you know just have unfolded and right. seem to be uh, you know continuing to roll out here. So Great. yeah. Great. So uh, we uh, thank you for listening, watching, uh, and uh, keep your eye on Andrew Del Rossi and the. Springhouse Media Ministry of the Abbey, there's a lot more good things to come.